Listener Production. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here with you. And in this episode of The Briefing, a defeated Liberal opens up about what went wrong. They just wanted a change in national direction then. You know, in our political system, you accept that and, and move on. So it's disappointing, but I respect the verdict of the voters. That's the voice of Dave Sharma, the former member for Wentworth, and he was one of the Liberal MPs swamped by the teal wave. Where we do well is when we focus on our core competencies, which is keeping the economy strong and keeping households and the nation safe. And where we did poorly is when we start to veer off into the private lives of individuals. We'll go fairly deep on the Liberal Party failings with Dave Sharma in our briefing. Yeah, as deep as we can, as far as he's willing to acknowledge (laughs) the mistakes they made. Um, First, here are today's headlines. It is the 1st of June, the first day of winter. The PM, Anthony Albanese, has unveiled his new ministry and it has the largest number of women in an Australian cabinet ever, 10 out of 23 positions, so nearly half. I want to see us uh, move towards 50-50 representation across all of the spectrum. I also want to see a parliament and a government that reflects the diversity that is there of the Australian people themselves. So his cabinet will also feature two Muslim ministers for the first time, and it did involve a small reshuffle because Terry Butler and Christina Keneally lost their seats. Claire O'Neill was a big winner in that fallout. She picked up Home Affairs, which is seen as a very senior portfolio, and Tanya Plibersek has been moved into the environment portfolio from education, which some commentators say amounts to a demotion, and that's because environment doesn't include climate change, which has gone to Chris Bowen. Mm, well, meantime, Labor has extended its majority in federal parliament to 77 seats, with the party claiming the seat of Gilmore on the New South Wales South Coast, which is all the seats counted now after the Liberals held deacons. So 77 it is. And the EU is hammering out an agreement to block 90% of Russian oil imports in a sixth set of sanctions following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Thanks to this, um, Council should now be able to finalise a ban on almost 90% of all Russian oil imports by the end of the year. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen there. So this means all oil that arrives by sea, around two-thirds of imports will be banned, although pipeline oil won't be because of opposition from Hungary. Poland and Germany have pledged to end their pipeline imports. And the deal will cut off a huge source of financing for the Russian war machine. Currently, Russia supplies 27% of the EU's imported oil and 40% of its gas. But so far, there are no sanctions on Russian gas exports to the EU. Yeah, so for us in Australia, this oil blockade is likely to mean more pain at the Bowser, unfortunately. Our petrol is going to remain above $2 a litre for a while to come. Yeah, and if it still is in September, I think it's going to be hard for the Labor government to stick to their position to end um, the cut in fuel excise. Mm. So that'll be an interesting debate to watch. Shanghai has finally had its lockdown officially lifted after 65 days. It's so hard to imagine. They've got a COVID zero policy in China, which has meant many of the city's 25 million residents have struggled to earn an income and in some cases even get enough food. So from today, public transport and shops will reopen um, with the large ones operating at 75% capacity. 
Cinemas, museums and gyms will stay closed and children are still doing home learning. Yeah, and anyone who wants to catch public transport has got to do a test every 72 hours. So Mm. life's not going to exactly be easy. Where we might see it, though, is the effect on manufacturing. Volkswagen and Tesla have been particularly impacted because staff have either had to stay home or live and work at the plants. Yeah, so even more supply bottlenecks there. We've hit a major milestone in the fight against single-use plastic today. Lightweight plastic bags are now officially banned in New South Wales and that brings the state into line with the rest of the country. So businesses will have a two-week grace period, but eventually any New South Wales company caught supplying banned plastic bags faces a fine of up to $275,000. Plastic cutlery, straws, plates and bowls will be banned in New South Wales from November and that joins Queensland and WA as the state's furthest along that plastic-free path. So despite Victoria's reputation as being a progressive state, it's only banned lightweight plastic bags so far and won't be expanding its list until February. Up to 130,000 tonnes of plastic finds its way into our waterways each year. So obviously this is a fight worth having. And House of Cards star Kevin Spacey will appear in a UK court after he was charged with sexual assault against three men in Britain. So these charges are alleged to have happened between 2005 and 2013 when Kevin Spacey was the artistic director at London's Old Vic Theatre. In a statement, Kevin Spacey said, while I'm disappointed with their decision to move forward, I will voluntarily appear in the UK as soon as can be arranged and defend myself against these charges, which I'm confident will prove my innocence. So along with these criminal charges in the UK, Kevin Spacey's already fighting a lawsuit filed by Anthony Rapp in New York. Anthony Rapp was the first person to publicly accuse the actor of sexual misconduct in 2017. It was after that that a number of further accusations were made public and according to the LA Times, there have been four other cases which have been dropped. Okay, that's the headlines for today. In just a moment, we'll hear from an ousted Liberal MP on what went wrong. Now that the Liberal Party has a new leader, it is time to rebuild and what a massive job that is. Yes, and what a difficult task that's going to be when some of the strongest moderate voices in the Liberal Party room have lost their seats to the Teal Independence. So it's not just the party that's got an image problem, but it's new leader, Peter Dutton. He's got a record of being one of the party's most prominent Conservatives. He's already pledged to represent the so-called forgotten people of Australia, wondering whether they're the quiet Australian Scott Morrison thought would return him to office. Yeah, that sounds like just more of the same. So are they really equipped to bring about the change needed to win back votes? Is the future of the Liberal Party really in Peter Dutton's hands? Can he do what's needed to change the party and snatch back those once safe seats that they lost to the independents? Dave Sharma was one of those Liberal MPs who lost his seat to the Teal Wave in the Sydney seat of Wentworth and he joins us on the briefing. Dave Sharma, thank you so much for joining us. I live in your area and it's clear that you threw everything at this election. So was it a frustrating loss? Look, I wouldn't say that. Um, It's disappointing, of course. I couldn't pretend otherwise. But I think when you do everything you can, and I I felt like I didn't, I felt like um, people knew I'd been a good local representative, but they just wanted a change in national direction. Then, you know, in our political system, you accept that and and move on. So it's disappointing, but I respect the 
verdict of the voters. So I guess now you've you've had some time to reflect. What do you think the Liberal Party did wrong to lose support in your seat? Sometimes, you know, a government gets to be of a certain age where we're seeking a fourth term. That's that's always difficult in Australian politics. We presided over a, a pretty difficult period in Australians' lives. We've not only with COVID and the fear of the disease, but with border closures and uh, lockdowns and public health restrictions. And I think we did that pretty well. And I think the, the rational part of people's minds knows that, but there's still a whole lot of frustrations that come with that. And I think people were just keen for a different direction and a fresh start. I, th- I think we could have also offered, uh, honestly, um, more of a fourth term agenda, what we were planning to do if re-elected to government. We did spend a lot of time running on our record and running on our reputation as better economic managers, but I think people were looking for something a bit more compelling to keep their vote with us, if you see what I mean, when the natural tendency, I think, at this stage of a government is, is to change. You've said there was a visceral dislike for Scott Morrison in your electorate. What was it that uh, the voters in your electorate didn't like about him? Look, I wouldn't, um, and, you know, I was probably a bit loose with my language and I probably shouldn't have personalised it to him. I think there was just a frustration with the government more broadly and, of course, him as the leader bears the brunt of that. But I would say that on a few issues they thought we were not moving quickly enough or they thought that we weren't really sincere enough. And I'd say particularly on climate change, I think, we got to a position that I support, which was net zero by 2050 and accelerating our emissions reductions in the interim. But because of the difficult internal process to get there and because of the fact that there are still breakouts in opinion within the coalition about this, people didn't really trust that we were fair dinkum about that. I think they think our conversion came a little too late. So it's interesting to hear you sort of walking back from the quote about Scott Morrison. I mean, he didn't even come and campaign in your electorate, even though you were on a thin margin, it's pretty clear no, that him, he, he personally was a problem. Otherwise, you would have had him there campaigning with you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, the polling shows that, uh, you know, we were not popular and he was not especially popular. So uh, why not? And, why didn't they like him? Look, I, uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask the voters that. But I think Come on, Dave, you were out there speaking <laughs> to them every day. Why are you going soft on this? No, I, th- I think because for, um, for many people, the leadership team, and that includes him, you know, personified the slowness in addressing some of these issues. They supported our policies on the economy, they supported our policies on national security, but on some of the big social and cultural and climate issues of the day, um, they felt that we were, and he was as the leader, and I don't pretend otherwise, were, were too slow to embrace those and, and recognise the way that Australia had shifted. Their attitudes are changing okay. because of the, the evidence presented you know, by your record. Clearly that was a problem. And Katrina, you, you were going to point out one particular thing mm. in in that, I guess, the social issue space that Dave's been talking about. Yeah, that's right. We were um, going to bring up a potentially, another potentially divisive figure for you in your electorate, uh, Catherine Deves, the, the Warringah candidate who had a history of offensive views on trans women and, and also some uh, inappropriate comparisons to the Holocaust. Uh, you crossed the floor to protect trans kids in the religious discrimination debate. So do you think Deves' trans views undid some of your work in that area? I think it's certainly harmed me and, and harmed a number of candidates like me. I don't think you can walk away from that. And I think this goes to the heart of the issues I was talking about where people didn't necessarily trust our sincerity about these things because we might do one thing and then a candidate like her emerges who's basically looking to take us backwards in this space. And I Was think, it a mistake uh, to, for Scott Morrison to handpick her? 
Look, I think it was a mistake on a number of fronts. I, I always think it's a mistake to handpick candidates rather than put them through a pre-selection process because you put them through a pre-selection process, firstly, their views become better known and people can scrutinise their record. And secondly, you get the party membership supporting whoever's ultimately chosen. And um, because she was picked in this way, neither of those things happened. And I think it, it created a huge distraction in the campaign. I mean, I don't think it was ever going to be a strength of ours to be talking about these sorts of issues during a short election campaign and having our campaign in many respects consumed or dominated by defending or explaining someone's public remarks were frankly offensive and deeply problematic with which I disagree quite profoundly. I think that was a mistake. The Prime Minister knew though that she had those strong views. So do you think that was a deliberate strategy to to appeal to conservative voters by creating headlines on transgender issues? I don't think so. I, I don't think he knew the extent of what she'd said. I mean, look, you're the Prime Minister, you've got a limited amount of time to devote to any issue. I think he probably relied upon others to tell him that you know, her public record seemed okay or, yes, she was an an activist for keeping women's sport restricted to biological women, but that was the extent of it. I don't think he would have known about some of the quite offensive and troubling things she'd said in the past. And when they came to light, he did rightly condemn them and she rightly withdrew them and apologised for them, although she did walk that back later. Often in politics, people assume there's some grand strategy. More often than not, the explanation is a mess up rather than a, a grand conspiracy. And I think that was the case here. You said that Peter Dutton could lead the party in a more moderate direction, despite the fact he spent years being its most prominent conservative voice. But after winning the vote on Monday, he was talking about the forgotten people in the suburbs. And I, I really think Scott Morrison already tried that with the Quiet Australians. It didn't work twice. He also lashed CEOs for essentially being too woke, saying they're too focused on social issues. Does that give you any confidence he'll steer the party in a direction that could win back seats like yours? We often talk in the Liberals about the broad church uh, and he said, and I think rightly, that we're not a conservative party, we're not a moderate party, we're the Liberal Party that needs to accommodate views across that spectrum and I think that's what he's trying to make sure we do. And from what I know of him personally, he is of that mindset. He's very tolerant of different points of view. He always engages in respectful debate. He recognises that the Liberal Party has different strands to it and it, and it must if it wants to represent the broad swathes of Australia that you need to in order to be able to form government. But that's still going to be difficult. There was nothing in that statement on Monday that seemed to be the sort of thing that would win back Wentworth voters. Well, he did talk a lot about support to business and households, and I think that is still the core Liberal constituency, uh, including here in Wentworth. You know, where we do well is when we focus on our core competencies, which is keeping the economy strong and keeping households and the nation safe. And where we did poorly is when we start to veer off into the private lives of individuals, their own private decisions about the life they choose to lead. I don't think we do well as a cultural conservative party. We do well as a fiscally conservative party and a, you know, a strong on national security party. So given that, what direction do you think we're likely to see the Liberal Party 2.0 move into? Will it become more moderate to try and win back some of that support that's gone to the Teals? Or given that many of the moderate MPs are no longer in Parliament, is that going to be difficult? Will we see a step to the right? Look, I hope we do move back towards the Senate because ultimately we didn't lose any seats to people on our political right, if you like. We lost them all to people on our on our left. If people who thought that the Liberal Party was moving in the wrong direction ended up punishing the people who were the most moderate voices in the Liberal Party room, and, and that's what happened with Trent Zimmerman and myself and 
Josh Frydenberg and Tim Wilson uh, and Trevor Evans and Jason Polinski, then it is hard because suddenly our voices are no longer in the party room and we're no longer speaking for that part of Australia that is, if you like, you know, economically conservative but socially quite progressive and we're absent from those discussions and I think that will be, that will be a challenge for us as a party. So what's in your future? <laughs> are you going to run again next time or do you reckon it's going to take a female candidate to topple Allegra Spender? It may well um, and it, it may well take some time as well. I don't underestimate the scale of that challenge and I'm not necessarily wedded to coming back or recontesting Wentworth or anything like that. Ultimately, I think that will be for people in my party to decide who is the best candidate to try and win this seat back. And it, it might take longer than a term. I'm just not sure. It depends on how it goes politically. So I've said I'm happy to continue to make a contribution, but I'm not sort of ruling anything in, but I'm also not not ruling anything out. I'd like to continue to support the Liberal Party. I'd like to make sure that we do learn the right lessons from this election loss. And that goes to our earlier conversation. And I'll make a contribution in any way I can to that. Dave, just one last question. A couple of weeks out from the election, uh, your local newspaper, the Wentworth Courier, dedicated their whole front page to the release of my memoir. Do you hold me in any way responsible for your election loss? I'd totally forgotten that, Tom. You're quite right. I forgot it sitting in my living room. Were you, were you pretty angry about that? No, because I think I got the front page a week or two after. So okay, everything, it's, it's all good. Come on, you've still got Tom Tilly's face on your dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've still got it somewhere in my kitchen, that copy of the Wentworth Courier. So I'll just dig it out now. Mate, don't stop at the Wentworth Courier. Get the whole book. <laughs> well, if you do a signing, Tom, let me know. And I'll come along. <laughs> More than happy to. Um, great speaking to you. Thanks for opening up on on the challenge facing the Liberal Party after last weekend. Pleasure. Great to join you, Tom. Great to join you, Katrina. That was Dave Sharma, former MP for Wentworth, now heading back into business given he's no longer in Parliament. Interesting, Katrina, that he tried to walk back his critique of ScoMo. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was pretty diplomatic about that. I guess he is a former diplomat. <laughs> also just struck me that he's just very keen not to burn any bridges. He really wants to head back into politics at some point. I believe it, it really lights him up, which is great. We want people like that in politics. We want people who are smart, who could earn money elsewhere, who could bring a lot to the corporate table, but choose public service instead. And he also reiterated that the moderate voices aren't in the party room anymore. So that combined with Peter Dutton offering no real new strategy on how to win back the teal seats mm. makes me wonder how on earth they're going to win back any seats at the next election. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're talking about the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Uh, the Labor Party promised to implement it, which will mean a referendum on a constitutionally enshrined voice to parliament. So we're going to go back to the beginning with someone who was there for the writing of the Uluru Statement to find out exactly what it means, how representative it was, and how the government should move forward on it. Listener.